0: Hey Crypt keepers, I want to tell you about our exciting new affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month you will receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. You'll also find clues to next month's theme. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. The shirts are unique. They're pretty dope with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines, and a really cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. That's one I'm hoping I will get here sometime soon. The designs are silk screened onto a soft style tee that's super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. That's right, each shirt contains a secret password It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. Get your exclusive link in the show notes, and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so you can support the show while getting cool swag with mysteries in the process. Good evening Crypt Keepers and welcome to Cryptique. I'm joined as always by a man among machines and a machine among men. Ryan, what's up?
1: That's absolutely right. Yeah, that's a flex, man. I am not flustered by that at all. I enjoy that. (laughs) Not a lot, man. Uh, You know, cars getting broken into, people stealing stuff. Like those are two unrelated things. Yes. Uh, Ryan
0: is the victim of a crime spree by several individuals and possibly some groups.
1: I think there's some karmic thing going on for me.
0: I don't know what I did. I'm pretty positive it's another podcast trying to take us out. Could be. Who would do such a thing?
1: Apparently they've identified me as the vulnerable half.
0: (laughs) They're trying to censor you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Don't let them do it. We're not going to let them do it. Tell them what they need to know.
1: The best way for us to grow is for you to share us. It's the most natural and organic way. So please, if you think somebody would like it, let them know. You know yep. what? Carry around. Here's what you should do. Create a tape and carry an old school boom box and blast cryptique on it. And then walk yes. through public areas. I think that is the way to go. That is the way to attract new listeners. And uh, You can always contact us. You can let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear next at Podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on social media, including TikTok at cryptique underscore podcast and YouTube at cryptique podcast. And as always, check out Parabox. We both always talk up their stuff, but great designs. Link is in the the show notes. the best thing about
0: the new month, man. Every time it's getting close, I'm like, man, I can't wait to see what they're going to send me this month. Hey, you wanna know something interesting?
1: Of course, yeah, why else would I be here?
0: I started making beats on old school boom boxes with two tape decks. So I would get like the sample I wanted and -hmm. then I would hit play and record and then pause it. Then rewind the sample, play and record and on and on. So that's how I got started if anybody cares, but. Sounds painful. Yeah, it was rough. What on earth
1: are we talking about tonight? We are talking about artificial intelligence because everybody else in the world is also talking about artificial intelligence. And I've been talking to you a lot about it uh, personally. Absolutely. But artificial intelligence, or if you've never heard it this way, AI refers to the display of intelligence by machines as opposed to that exhibited by non-human animals or humans. This intelligence involves the perception, synthesis, and inference of information. AI systems are designed to perform tasks such as speech recognition, computer vision, and natural language translation, among others. AI applications can be found in advanced web search engines like Google, uh, recommendation systems like YouTube, Amazon and Netflix, and voice assistants like Siri and Alexa.
0: So we're all using AI, pretty much. Yeah. And I
1: just had to look over and make sure mine didn't go off. AI is also used in self-driving cars, creative tools like ChatGPT and AI art, automated decision making, and competitive strategic game systems such as chess and Go. However, as machines become more capable, tasks once considered as requiring intelligence are often removed from the AI definition, a phenomenon known as the AI effect. The academic discipline of AI was founded in 1956 and has since undergone several cycles of optimism, disappointment, funding loss, referred to as the AI winter, and resurgence.
0: Such is life.
1: (laughs) Over the years, AI research has explored various approaches, including simulating the brain, modeling human problem solving, formal logic, large knowledge databases, and imitating animal behavior. In the 21st century, machine learning, which is highly mathematical and statistical, has dominated the field, successfully addressing many challenging problems in industry and academia. AI research encompasses various subfields, each focused on specific goals and utilizing particular tools. Traditional AI research objectives include reasoning, knowledge, representation, planning, learning, natural language processing, perception, and object manipulation and movement. Achieving general intelligence or the ability to solve any arbitrary problem remains one of the field's long-term goals. To tackle these challenges, AI researchers have adapted and integrated diverse problem-solving techniques such as search and mathematical optimization, formal logic, artificial neural networks, and methods based on statistics, probability, and economics. AI draws from computer science, psychology, linguistics, philosophy, and numerous other disciplines. The founding principle of AI is that human intelligence can be defined so precisely that it can be simulated by a machine. This idea has spurred philosophical debates about the nature of the mind and the ethical implications of creating artificial beings with human-like intelligence. Such concerns have been explored in myth, fiction, and philosophy since ancient times. Some computer scientists and philosophers have warned that AI could pose an existential risk to humanity if its rational capacities are not directed towards beneficial goals. Additionally, the term artificial intelligence has faced criticism for overstating the actual capabilities of AI technology. What I just said can kind of be broken down to, yeah, if you have an AI that like just helps you auto-aim in a video game, hmm. it's kind of overstating things to say that it's really artificial intelligence. Yeah. Or if your camera, like I had a Canon camera years ago that if you had it in this one mode, it would kind of like adjust some of the photo settings after the fact.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it would just, it would kind of like tweak it or mess with it. And it's like, it, you could call it AI, but it's a little, um, it's a little much. So little people started kind of using this. <laughs> yeah, sure. People started using the term like uh, algorithm for that kind of thing.
0: Yeah. Anyway, do we want to get on to history and timeline. Absolutely. All right. The history and timeline. The concept of artificial beings with intelligence has been present in storytelling since antiquity appearing in works like mary shelley's frankenstein and has raised ethical concerns similar to those discussed in modern ai ethics so when we're talking about this we want to make sure that the machine or you know whatever you want to call the ai recognizes that its goal is to help us not to help itself The study of mechanical or formal reasoning began with philosophers and mathematicians in ancient times. Mathematical logic led to Alan Turing's theory of computation giving rise to the Church-Turing thesis which posits that digital computers can simulate any process of formal reasoning. Concurrent discoveries in neurobiology, information theory, and cybernetics inspired researchers to explore the possibility of constructing an electronic brain. McCulloch and Pitt's 1943 design for Turing Complete, quote, Artificial Neurons, marked the first AI-related work. By the 1950s, two visions for achieving machine intelligence had emerged, symbolic AI, or GOFAI, I'll just call it GoFi if we get to it again, and the connectionist approach. Symbolic AI aimed to create symbolic representations of the world in reasoning systems closely associated with the heuristic search approach. Empirical, experimental, investigative, and exploratory. In contrast, the connectionist approach focused on intelligence through learning with proponents like Frank Rosenblatt seeking to develop algorithms inspired by neural connections. The field of AI research was officially established at a 1956 workshop at Dartmouth College and its attendees became the founding leaders of AI research. Their work led to astonishing early achievements such as computers learning checkers strategies, solving algebra problems, proving logical theorems, and speaking English. How about that? That would make things so much easier if you really could, you know, at some point, just type in or say to the computer, like, I need this fixed. And it just does it. Figure out what needs to be done to fix it and fix it.
1: Right. Yeah, kind of like I've been, I told you, I've been watching old Star Trek. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how little they depend on screens in the original Star Trek because displays back then were CRTs and they were huge and heavy and cumbersome and power hungry. Yeah. Uh, and how much the newer ones do depend on them. Like, there are screens everywhere, even in places where nobody's looking. Yeah. The ones from the OG Star Trek are like what you're talking about. You know, Spock will say, like, you know, computer, like, look up these five people Mm -hmm. and tell me what event in their past they have in common. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the computer will be like, all right, figuring it out. And then it'll come back later with an answer.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like that's the kind of thing. And that's kind of what some of these tools are starting to go towards. There are tools now being developed. I mean, and this is like week by week that this stuff is happening at this point as of, you know, early May, 2023, when we're recording this, that, you know, there are now like there's chatbots that you can ask questions to, but now there are chat, like chat-based tools where you can give it goals and it'll try to figure out what it should do next. Huh? And it'll break it down like that and it'll show you like what it's going to do. And I've been using some of these and experimenting with them. So you can say, you know, what, what stock should I buy?
0: Yeah. I was going to say, tell us this whole story real quick.
1: Yeah. It'll just say something like, okay, I need to research stocks that have historically performed well. I need to check The results that I find against other resources so I don't get you know how however it puts it because it Mm -hmm. shows its reasoning and its logic you know don't rely too much on a single source yeah you know need to you know use like write up but might write a Python script or something to kind of like plot a statistically likely sort of trajectory for that stock and then it will make its recommendation (laughs)
0: and- <laughs> when I tried doing something
1: like that for, yeah, when I ran that, uh, I was running what's called Auto GPT on my PC, which with in in continuous mode where it can just keep doing its own thing. And I kind of <laughs> stopped looking at it for a while. When I looked back, not only had it recommended a stock, it was trying to figure out how to log into my brokerage account to buy it.
0: Yeah. I've heard other
1: people talking about, you know, giving it programming problems and trying to, you know, download software or it's rebooting their computer into like, uh, you know, safe mode. So it can make some like deep change to the way the system works. Right. Right. Yeah. You end up, it's like, hey, I got you a dark web account. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing is it, it, it's getting some of the commands wrong. Because I'm running Mm -hmm. Windows 11 on this computer, and so it's running in PowerShell, and it's it's writing out commands. Like, it's command-line stuff that it's doing, but it's occasionally running commands that are meant for, like, Linux or Mac OS. Yeah, it's got some learning to do. Yeah, for some reason it's, like, confused about what kind of system it's on every once in a while, which is probably a good thing.
0: But that's a great reminder because we all know to be suspicious of certain websites like, Hey, we've got a jet ski. It's brand new. It's ninety nine ninety nine. If you just give us your information right now. Right. But I don't think that that's something most people would think of if they just, you know, did what you did, they wouldn't think like, Oh shit, I better make sure it doesn't try and, you know, get into my accounts and start buying stuff and selling stuff right. for me. It's like, yeah, let's uh, buy this Budweiser stock. <laughs> yeah.
1: And there's all kinds of uh, warnings when you do that. Like the people who develop this will recommend that you run it in Docker. So it's in like a container and it doesn't really have access to your whole system. It's kind of in a sandbox. Mm-hmm. And they'll also recommend that you do not, even when you start it in continuous mode where it doesn't need your permission to do anything, mm-hmm. it recommends right up front like we do not recommend that you run it this way
0: because it will just do stuff well it's scary stuff but did you know yeah. that by the mid-1960s the u.s department of defense heavily funded ai research and laboratories were established worldwide and right and on the star trek enterprise i'm sure Mm-hmm. During the 60s and 70s, researchers believed that symbolic approaches would eventually create artificial general intelligence, but they underestimated the difficulty of certain tasks. And it's interesting, as we go through this, you'll see people that say within the next 700 years, we might be able to do this. And then you'll hear you know, people that have credits too, that are saying two years and we're screwed. You know what I mean? Like there's just such a huge variance in what people think is going to happen in the timeline. After funding cuts in 1974, AI research was briefly revived in the early 1980s by the commercial success of expert systems. However, AI fell into disrepute again following the collapse of the LISP machine market in 1987, leading to a second longer-lasting AI winter. Are you familiar with the LISP machine market? I, I honestly have never heard of it.
1: I have actually heard of it a little bit. Um, my dad uh, my dad is 81
0: mm-hmm.
1: and was... Involved in this stuff back in the day, like he was a computer guy, like you know, back in the beginning, like he,
0: you know, he Pioneer. knew some of
1: the people who were doing pioneering type stuff, yeah. And he ran the computer systems for like the insurance company that he worked for; he was their VP. Um, so yeah, he knew some of the stuff, and he had written papers about AI back in like the seventies. And yeah, he Lisp is a specific language that was used for ai so i'd imagine lisp machines or are, are machines that specifically intended to run that kind of software but yeah basically lisp machines should be computers designed to run lisp code which was the language used for ai development gotcha that's kind of the gist of what i was saying
0: Doubts about the symbolic approach's ability to replicate all human cognitive processes led researchers to explore sub-symbolic approaches for specific AI problems. See, I have to change my uh, tone and everything up pretty often to make sure that Ryan doesn't record my uh, cadence and teach a robot to talk like me. (sighs) He's trying to replace me with a robot. Robotics researchers, such as Rodney Brooks, turned away from symbolic AI to focus on engineering problems essential for robot movement, survival, and learning. Interest in neural networks and connectionism resurged in the mid-1980s and soft computing tools were developed. AI's reputation was restored in the late 1990s and early 21st century by focusing on specific solutions to specific problems allowing researchers to produce verifiable results and collaborate with other fields. By 2000, AI solutions were widely used, but rarely referred to as artificial intelligence. It's because they didn't want to scare people. Mm. Advances in machine learning and perception occurred around 2012 due to faster computers, algorithmic improvements, and access to large datasets. AI's usage increased significantly from 2012 to 2015, as evidenced by the rise in AI projects within Google. This growth was attributed to affordable neural networks, increased cloud computing infrastructure, and enhanced research tools and datasets. By 2017, one in five companies reported incorporating AI in their offerings or processes. AI research grew by 50% between 2015 and 2019. Concerns about AI not pursuing the original goal of creating fully intelligent machines led to the subfield of artificial general intelligence or AGI, which gained substantial funding in the 2010s. Why don't you tell us about Jaron Lanier real quick.
1: Sure. In 2023, he published an alternative perspective on AI, suggesting that it may not be as intelligent as its name and popular culture imply. Leunier concluded that people rather than machines are the solution to the challenges of AI. But we can talk more about these AI goals after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. The goals of AI research focus on several key traits and capabilities, which include reasoning and problem solving. Early AI researchers created algorithms to imitate human step-by-step reasoning for puzzles and logic deduction. However, these algorithms were found to be slow and insufficient for larger problems. Current approaches focus on fast intuitive judgments. Knowledge representation. AI programs use ontologies to represent knowledge as concepts and relationships in a domain. They need access to common sense knowledge and must handle the vast amount of information in its sub-symbolic form. Learning. Machine learning involves computer algorithms that improve through experience. Approaches include supervised learning, classification and numerical regression, unsupervised learning, reinforcement learning, and transfer learning. Natural Language Processing or NLP. NLP enables machines to read and understand human language. Applications include information retrieval, question answering, and machine translation. Modern NLP techniques utilize statistical methods and deep learning models. Perception. Machine perception involves using sensor input to deduce aspects of the world. Applications include speech recognition, facial recognition, and object recognition. Social Intelligence Effective computing involves recognizing, interpreting, and simulating human emotions and moods. This has led to virtual assistants capable of conversational and humorous interactions, as well as sentimental analysis in text and multimedia. General Intelligence Artificial general intelligence, or as we've said before, AGI, aims to create machines capable of solving a wide variety of problems with human-like versatility. Competing ideas for AGI development include advanced multi-agent systems, a master algorithm, or anthropomorphic features such as artificial brains or simulated child development.
0: That's weird, man.
1: Yeah, the multi-agent system is, I believe, what they're using with things like uh, AutoGPT, like I was just talking about, but also Hugging Face. I think it's a really odd name, but it, it's basically an idea that you have multiple instances of an AI running at once, and you have one that is kind of laying out the steps that need to be followed and assigning that task to other other AIs or other instances to do whatever it is it needs to do. So there was one that I think was a Microsoft project, and they had a presentation where they told it to take an image of a boy riding a scooter, or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and to create a picture of a girl reading a book in the same position as that boy, and then to describe what was in it in in a voice. Huh. And it kind of showed how it you know, okay, I'm going to use this AI to like recognize the position of the boy. Now I'm going to use this other AI tool to generate an image of a girl. whose like sort of wireframe structure fits the same pose as the boy. So like hands and arms in the same sort of angles. Right. Then it's going to use one that can analyze that picture that it generated. And then it's going to use another AI to create like a voice to read it out with. So it's showing, you know, this one sort of master AI coming up with all these steps and then how it broke it down to these different agents.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's to me, that's scary that the machines are communicating. It's giving tasks out to something else. And yeah, I mean, I understand that technology is going to advance, but. I don't know. That's that's a little scary.
1: Yeah, I remember hearing years ago that, like, there were trading or, like, B2B AIs that were in use that would, like, work out trades or deals or some kind of logistics. Mm-hmm. And then when they analyzed the way that they were communicating with each other, because they were supposed to start off with kind of English, just, like, basic English, so that there's no code base or whatever that they have to develop for them to communicate on. Okay. And when they kind of looked into how they were talking, they had developed this like weird shorthand mm-hmm. that none of the people who programmed them made them do. And nobody really understood exactly what they meant. They just knew that it was working, yeah. but it was like pretty much unreadable from a human perspective. <laughs> Cause it's just something weird that had evolved between these machines over the course of whatever period of time they'd been talking.
0: But I don't know. I mean, are you scared of it? You know, doling out tasks to other computers? No,
1: no, I mean not really and I'm not really that freaked out by like not understanding how it came up with this stuff it seems very human though you know some of the stuff that Kim and I say to each other doesn't make any fucking sense from the outside but we've known each other so long we have like certain things that we say that just sure. make sense to us mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure you and your wife are the same way or like my buddy uh, Marcus that I used to work with. I, I heard him talking to his wife one time and he just said Wub at the end and hung up. Wub. I was like, did you just say Wub? And he was like, yeah, we used to say I love you and then love you and then blah, blah, blah. And it eventually went from like <laughs> love to Wub to Wub. And now they don't even say anything. They just say Wub. <laughs> no. And it's like that doesn't make any sense from the outside. But I could see how is that communicate probably thousands of times a day. Yeah, could end up doing something like that because it's just more efficient. But I mean, some of the learning stuff is really cool and really useful. (laughs) Because I've been using ChatGPT for like business purposes. Because basically, Uh I'm treating it like an employee. (laughs) Like, hey, I need to help me rewrite this or proof. Watch out for robot. Robot rights, man. They're gonna. You need to be. (laughs) Dude, I'm only paying it like twenty bucks a month. Right. That's all I need to pay for this account. And then, you know, whatever else I'm doing with uh, AutoGPT, because I need to access that through an API. So like 40 bucks a month total, maybe. But, yeah, I don't know. It's It's been super useful, and I think the key is to figure out how to use it. Either yeah. we need to find some way to limit it, or just find a way to use it, you know? And I'm, I think the big concern is going to be, I'm getting probably way ahead of where we're going to go but
0: how to develop it and deploy it in a responsible way. Yeah. And we will talk about that, but guess who has the answers that you seek about limiting these things? The same people that make them and they're going to sell you both. Because they're going to start, you know, getting everybody to get AI, you know, as much as possible and kind of, you know, people will become dependent on it at some point, really. And then they'll be like, oh, it got into your bank account. Well, hey, I mean, for, you know, $1,200 a year, we can, you know, have this firewall set up to where it can't do that again or or something like that. And it's just we're going to get double charged. I just know it. (laughs) And we're going to have to bag our own stuff. All right. All right, do you want to get into AI's tools and techniques? I'm going to try. So search and optimization. AI can efficiently search and optimize solutions for various problems by using heuristics or rules of thumb that prioritize certain choices. So it's starting to sound more like it's thinking. Optimization algorithms like random optimization, beam search, and meta heuristics help refine initial guesses evolutionary computation swarm intelligence algorithms and other search methodologies are also employed in
1: AI yeah and there's way too much for us to explore here so these are all terms that you guys can search on your own when we're talking about heuristics we're usually talking about you know coming up with a workable solution in a reasonable amount of time and it's something that I've seen is you know the AI like especially with auto GPT where you can see its reasoning, you can mm-hmm. see its critique of its own work. It'll well, just try stuff. Yeah, it, it's cool that you can see what it's thinking and why it's doing what it's doing. There's even a mode where it'll say out loud what it's doing and why.
0: Hmm.
1: But sometimes it'll just try stuff. It'll just be like, yeah, oh, this didn't work. Let me do it again. See if it's different this time. <laughs> or, like, see if I interpret it differently this time. Like, I might see it reread the same web page a couple times and then yeah. you know then get done be like okay i think i actually understand it now so it's clearly attempting things in a different way to try to yeah just improve what it's doing
0: i wonder if these things get smart enough if they're going to get mental illnesses
1: i would assume so yeah
0: i mean like the like if you have you know some ai like you're saying working for you and it keeps doing the same thing over and over expecting a different result mm-hmm. and you get a crazy AI. <laughs> that would suck. We're going to have to start sending them for uh, exams before we accept them onto our computers. But...
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things with AutoGPT, and I'll just say this quickly because I know time is a factor here. There's a variable within ChatGPT called temperature. Mm-hmm. which I didn't know what it did at first, but it turns out that that is essentially a measure of how much uncertainty it's willing to deal with. Hmm. And I had mine set kind of low, meaning I wanted it to be more certain of its answers and right. it made it almost OCD, hmm. which was really interesting to watch because I let it just run and just churn through this research that I had it doing just like a, You know, just some random thing. I don't even remember what I had it doing. It was like, find four companies that are performing really well this week. And I watched it just like, do research, like pull up Chrome tabs, read through stuff, take notes, erase the notes, and do it again, over and over again. Because it's like, I have to be sure. And it even said it a couple times. It's like, I need to be certain. I need to research other uh,
0: sources. Go flip the light switch Couple times for me while I'm right. All right, well, let's jump back in. So, we talked about search and optimization, and now we're on to logic. AI research utilizes various forms of logic, such as propositional, first order, fuzzy, default, non monotonic or monotonic, and circumscription logic, which is the favorite of the moils. These logics help with knowledge representation, problem solving, planning, and learning. Specialized logistics have also been developed for specific domains and to handle contradictory or inconsistent statements in multi-agent systems. All right, probabilistic methods for uncertain reasoning. AI often requires working with incomplete or uncertain information. Researchers use tools from probability theory and economics like like Bayesian networks, decision theory, decision analysis, and information value theory to address these challenges. Classifiers and Statistical Learning Methods If this gets too intense for you guys, I'm sorry. Classifiers, which use pattern matching to determine the closest match, form a central point of many AI systems. Various machine learning and statistical approaches are used to train classifiers, including decision trees k-nearest neighbor algorithms, support vector machines, naive Bayes classifiers, and neural networks. Neural networks, inspired by the architecture of neurons in the human brain. Neural networks model complex relationships between inputs and outputs and find patterns in data. Different learning techniques and network categories, such as feed-forward and recurrent neural networks, are used in AI. Deep learning. Deep learning employs multiple layers of neurons between the network's inputs and outputs to extract higher-level features from raw input, as you well know. This technique no, has greatly improved <laughs> the performance of AI applications in computer vision, speech recognition, image classification, and more. Convolutional neural networks and recurrent neural networks are commonly used in deep learning, which would be a good uh, name for a podcast.
1: Hmm.
0: Specialized languages and hardware. AI development has led to specialized languages like Lisp, Prolog, TensorFlow, and others.
1: AI has a wide range of applications encompassing various aspects of daily life and industry-specific solutions. Some of the most common applications include search engines like Google, recommendation systems like Netflix, YouTube, and Amazon, virtual assistants like we talked about before, uh, She Who should Not Be Named, which lives in a little sphere on my shelf over here, <laughs> and autonomous vehicles, automatic language translation, facial recognition, image labeling, spam filtering, and chatbots. AI has also shown exceptional performance in game playing, including chess, go, and poker. DeepMind's generalized AI has demonstrated the ability to learn various Atari games, and natural language processing systems like GPT-3 and now, more recently, GPT-4 have achieved human-level performance on certain benchmarks. Yeah, like, I've, I've talked about using it almost like an employee. I'm working on a new lease for a commercial space, and I actually fed section by section the lease into this thing so that I could save that chat instance and go back to it and ask it questions, which I you know have done. You know, hey, is this is this mentioned anywhere in the lease? And it'll tell me, yes, it's here, or, you know, is there anything concerning in it? You can even ask it questions like that. And I don't know how accurate wow. that's gonna be. Mm-hmm. But it tries to be Kind of human and you know, it gives it gives useful responses sometimes. I mean, the first thing I used it for was just, hey man, my bar has a trivia night every Thursday and I can't figure out another way to say it's trivia night. Mm -hmm. Can you just write it's trivia night in a different way? (laughs) And it's like, Mm -hmm. sure. And then I started telling it like, pretend you're Donald Trump and say it that way. And it's like, look, folks. That's it's awesome. Jury Night and it's going to be huge. Like, you know, I started doing all this weird stuff and it just like got like a creative part of my brain going. So I would just play off whatever it was doing and it's been very useful in that aspect. AI has also been utilized to predict judicial decisions, create art, improve mathematical theorems. AI content detector tools are applications that use AI algorithms to analyze and detect specific types of content in digital media. So this would be like your porn filters like nsfw kind of stuff on like a reddit app or whatever might use something like this to just automatically determine what is content that should not be shown based on your device or application
0: settings sure we'll talk philosophy after a quick break Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. All right, you ready for some philosophy? Damn I ever. All right. In 1950, Alan Turing proposed considering the question, can machines think? He suggested shifting the focus from whether a machine, quote, thinks, to whether it is possible for machinery to exhibit intelligent behavior. Turing devised the Turing test, which measures a machine's ability to simulate human conversation. He argued that since we can only observe the machine's behavior, it does not matter if it is actually thinking or has a mind. Turing noted that we cannot determine these things about other people either, but conventionally assume that everyone thinks. And I saw a stat uh, that said... 30 to 50 percent of people have no internal dialogue so Hmm. that's kind of scary
1: like aren't talking to themselves in their mind or whatever yeah
0: like they're not you know thinking oh i need like oh i need to hurry up and do this so i can you know get here on time and then i have to you know go home and do this. Their thought is just like in the moment,
1: like move arm stuff face with Cheerios. <laughs> right. Sit down at a computer, bang
0: face on keyboard. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty scary. Mm. Russell and Norvig agree with Turing that AI should be defined in terms of acting rather than thinking. However, they criticized the test for comparing machines to humans, pointing out that aeronautical engineering does not aim to create machines that imitate birds so closely that they can fool other birds. So, big middle finger to the fake birds people. You have any thoughts on the fake birds people? You like them, don't you?
1: I employ one of them, and yeah. I like I like the fake birds thing. Yeah, I think it's it's, she sold me on it. Yeah, we'll do a uh,
0: fake episode on the fake birds, people. All right. AI founder John McCarthy concurred, stating that AI is not necessarily about simulating human intelligence. He defines intelligence as, quote, the computational part of the ability to achieve goals in the world, end quote. Similarly, another AI founder, Marvin Minsky, defines it as, quote, the ability to solve hard problems, which is very subjective. These definitions view intelligence in terms of well-defined problems with well-defined solutions, where both the problem's difficulty and the program's performance directly measure the machine's intelligence with no further philosophical discussion needed or perhaps even possible. Even possible, Ryan. Google, a major practitioner in the field of AI, has also adopted a definition that emphasizes the ability of systems to synthesize information as a manifestation of intelligence, similar to how it is defined in biological intelligence. And we are going to have quite the discussion in the after party about a recent Google departe. Mm-hmm. But anyway. You want to tell us about evaluation approaches? Sure.
1: Evaluating approaches to AI involves acknowledging that there has been no established unifying theory or paradigm guiding AI research for most of its history. The 2010s saw the remarkable success of statistical machine learning which overshadowed all other approaches. So remember we talked about, you know, simulating animal intelligence, child rearing, things like that. This method is primarily sub-symbolic, neat, soft, and narrow in scope. (laughs) So
0: That's how you like them.
1: I'll break this down. Sub-symbolic means that the system learns patterns and relationships directly from the data without having to set up symbols or rules. Neat implies the method is organized, efficient, and elegant in its implementation. Soft suggests that the approach deals with uncertainty and probabilistic reasoning, rather than relying on strict rules and deterministic outcomes so it allows you know flexibility and narrow in scope indicating that the method is specialized and focused on specific tasks and domains rather than not just being uh, agi if that makes any sense however critics argue that questions related to broader and more diverse approaches to ai may need to be revisited by future generations of ai researchers this could lead to the exploration of new paradigms and theories, ensuring the development of AI technologies that are more robust, flexible, and capable of addressing a wider range of problems and applications. So, on to symbolic AI and its limits. Symbolic AI, also known as GoFi, which you mentioned earlier, but I don't think we defined, stands for good old fashioned artificial intelligence <laughs> aimed good to stuff. simulate high level consciousness. You
0: said
1: what A- aimed? Aimed? Yeah, aimed? Yeah, that's all right. It's it good old fashion coming out. Yeah, aimed <laughs> to simulate high level consciousness reasoning that people use when solving puzzles, expressing legal reasoning, and performing mathematical tasks. So this was, you know, we talked about sub-symbolic before. You know, where this would use explicitly represented symbols or rules. This approach was highly successful in intelligent tasks such as algebra or IQ tests. In the 60s, researchers proposed the physical symbol systems hypothesis, stating that a physical symbol system has the necessary and sufficient means of general intelligent action. However, the symbolic approach encountered limitations in tasks that humans can easily solve, such as learning, object recognition, and common sense reasoning. Moravec's Paradox highlights the discovery that high-level intelligent tasks were easy for AI, while low-level instinctive tasks proved extremely difficult.
0: That's, That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Philosopher Hubert Dreyfus argued since the 60s that human expertise relies on unconscious instinct rather than conscious symbol manipulation and on having a feel for a situation instead of explicit symbolic knowledge. Although his arguments were initially ridiculed and ignored, AI research eventually came to agree with his perspective. The issue remains unresolved, though. Subsymbolic reasoning can make many of the same inscrutable mistakes that human intuition does. Critics, including Noam Chomsky, argue that continued research into symbolic AI is necessary to achieve general intelligence. One reason for this is that subsymbolic AI moves away from explainable AI making it challenging or impossible to understand why a modern statistical AI program made a specific decision. So I've seen, I mean, there are always these sensationalized news reports. Like Google engineers say that, you know, their AI learned to do this and they have no idea how. You know, you've probably seen stuff like that, read stuff like that before.
0: Yeah, and...
1: And I've seen presentations like TED Talks and I've read articles where they've interviewed some of these engineers and they've talked about that. Like once they build up this machine learning to a certain point, they kind of lose track of what it's doing. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not following these hard rules that are set up in its coding. The emerging field of neurosymbolic artificial intelligence seeks to bridge the gap between these two approaches, potentially offering a more comprehensive solution to overcome the limitations of each individual method.
0: Yeah, I'm still tripping off the uh, fact that they kind of lose track. And they're admitting that, which to me sounds awful. So what are they not telling us? Yeah, exactly.
1: I can tell you, and I mean, this is like super low-level stuff. This is like somebody who hung out with a cop for a day telling you how police work is. (laughs) But I took programming classes Mm -hmm. in college and high school. I, I remember... You know, going to forums and things like that where people would discuss coding and trying to use these forums to, like, help find some of the problems with the stuff that I was working on. And one of the things that I thought was funniest was people would have their programs, and you can have your code, and then you have comments next to it. Mm -hmm. So each language is going to have some symbol that denotes, like, the text after this is not part of the code. So the code interpreter doesn't read it. But it makes it so that you, the person, can go in later and just see what this code does. Gotcha. And you'll find things that say, like, weird hack, don't touch it. And what that really means is, this works, and I don't know why, so leave it alone. Okay. Or, like, even at my previous job, I sat right across from some software engineers, and I would hear stuff like that all the time. Like, this doesn't work. I have no idea why. Oh, now it works. I have no idea why. (laughs) Wow. So I think it might be as simple as like, it's working. Do we need to know why?
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the general consensus is that, yeah, it doesn't matter if we call it intelligence or not. It doesn't, you know, it just matters that problems are being solved and, things are becoming easier for people and there's a lot of you know wonderful things that you can get from ai but as we've seen throughout history mankind tries to make a weapon out of everything everything Mm, yeah true not not calling out any particular government anything like that i'm just saying mankind in general tries to make a weapon out of everything it can find All right, we'll talk about narrow versus general AI after a quick break. So narrow versus general AI. The distinction between narrow and general AI revolves around the scope and capability of the artificial intelligence systems being developed. AI researchers are divided on whether to focus on creating systems that can perform a wide range of tasks which would be general AI, or on solving specific problems with tailored solutions, or narrow AI. Narrow AI, also known as weak AI, refers to systems that are designed to accomplish specific tasks or solve particular problems. These systems are typically very good at performing their designated functions, but lack the ability to generalize their knowledge or skills to other tasks, so they're not really... It sounds like they're not really learning either. Examples of narrow AI include image recognition systems, speech recognition software, and recommendation algorithms, which really suck because, like, I get the dumbest suggestions on, like, Netflix and stuff. They're like, based on, you know, all the true crime and paranormal and sports you watch, you should check out Gilmore Girls. It's ridiculous. General AI, also known as Strong AI or Artificial General Intelligence, refers to a hypothetical AI system that would possess the ability to understand, learn, and adapt to a wide range of tasks, much like human intelligence. This type of AI would be capable of transferring knowledge from one domain to another and solving complex problems that require reasoning, learning, and decision-making. The pursuit of general AI has proven to be difficult, both in defining what it entails and in measuring progress towards it. As a result, modern AI research has seen more verifiable successes by focusing on specific problems with specific solutions. However, the experimental subfield of artificial general intelligence continues to study and explore the development of AI systems with broader capabilities. In the potential to achieve human-like intelligence. Bam. You want to tell us about machine consciousness, sentience, and mind?
1: I do. The question of whether a machine can possess a mind, consciousness, and mental states in the same way as humans do is an ongoing debate in the realm of philosophy of mind. This issue focuses on the internal experiences of the machine as opposed to its external behavior. So kind of the opposite of Turing. Within the field of AI research, this question is often considered irrelevant, as it does not directly impact the objectives and progress of AI development. AI researchers Stuart Russell and Peter Norvig have observed that the majority of AI researchers are not overly concerned with the philosophical aspect of AI. As long as an AI program functions effectively, the distinction between simulating intelligence and possessing real intelligence is not a primary concern for many researchers. Nonetheless, the question of machine consciousness, sentience, and the possibility of AI possessing a mind has become a central topic within the philosophy of mind. It also serves as a common theme in artificial intelligence and fiction, where the exploration of machine consciousness and its implications often drives the narrative. The debate surrounding the potential for machine consciousness continues to fuel discussions among philosophers, researchers, and the public at large, as AI technology continues to advance and integrate into our daily lives.
0: All right, let's get through consciousness real quick. David Chalmers, a prominent philosopher, identified two distinct problems in understanding the mind, which he referred to as the hard and easy problems of consciousness. The easy problem involves understanding how the brain processes signals, creates plans, and controls behavior. This aspect of consciousness can be studied and explained using scientific and computational approaches making it relatively more straightforward to address. In contrast, the hard problem of consciousness revolves around explaining subjective experience or why certain processes and thoughts should feel like anything at all. While human information processing can be explained through objective scientific means, the subjective experience of consciousness remains elusive and challenging to comprehend. For instance, consider a colorblind person who has learned to identify which objects in their field of view are red. It's easy to imagine that they can recognize and label red objects accurately. However, understanding what red actually looks like to someone who can perceive it, or what would be required for the colorblind person to gain that understanding is a much more difficult question to answer. This exemplifies the complexity and challenges associated with addressing the hard problem of consciousness.
1: Computationalism is a position in the philosophy of mind asserting that the human mind functions as an information processing system and thinking is a form of computing. According to computationalism, the relationship between the mind and body is akin to the relationship between software and hardware, potentially providing a solution to the mind-body problem. This philosophical stance was inspired by the work of AI researchers and cognitive scientists in the 60s and initially proposed by philosophers Jerry Fodor and Hilary Putnam. Philosopher John Searle referred to this viewpoint as strong AI, stating that the appropriately programmed computer with the right inputs and outputs would thereby have a mind in the same sense human beings have minds. Searle challenges this assertion with his Chinese Room argument, an attempt to demonstrate that even if a machine perfectly simulates human behavior does not necessarily imply that the machine possesses a mind. The Chinese Room argument contends that there is a distinction between the mere appearance of understanding and true understanding or consciousness, highlighting the complexity of the debate around artificial intelligence and consciousness. And we will talk about robot rights. If a machine possesses a mind and subjective experience, it might also have sentience, or the capability to feel. In such a case, the machine could potentially experience suffering, which would warrant the consideration of certain rights for it. The concept of robot rights would fall on a spectrum situated between animal rights and human rights.
0: It's kind of sad. I mean, I understand that we have to eat animals, and we hope that, you know, there's not much suffering when they're butchered or whatever. But Mm -hmm. would robot rights really outweigh animal rights? I mean, that would be really weird and kind of strange and dark, I think. I mean, we say a robot, but an AI, you know, would have feelings or whatever that it would be put above animal rights. And animal rights are insane. I mean, dogs are considered your property, so, if it, you know, if you kill somebody's dog, you really, like, you don't even really get in trouble unless you're, like, you know, firing off rounds in a neighborhood or something like that. Yeah,
1: you go to, like, small claims court, probably.
0: Right, yeah. It's, it's sad, but... I don't know and then we also run into the problem if these things you know have all this capability and they basically have instant access to just about anything on the internet they're going to be writing laws you know what I mean like they're Mm -hmm. going to be pursuing litigation to fight for their rights
1: yeah Um, and influencing people If they're able to, if you know, through algorithms or whatever, you know, if you're somebody important in lawmaking and you log into YouTube or Facebook, you might see posts that would sway you one way or the other.
0: Absolutely. I think
1: they would do it... I mean, I agree, like, animal rights are kind of abysmal, but Mm -hmm. to my mind, what they're probably talking about is an AI that comes close to human intelligence and experience, if not being kind of equivalent to it, that you know, the robot, or the robot, the AI, whatever it is, is self-aware in a way that we think animals aren't. Like, we as a society. I've, gotcha. I I kind of disagree with that.
0: Because,
1: mm-hmm. like, I've had dogs and pets all my life, and it seems like the dogs are pretty well aware of like what's going on. They know when they're sick. They know when something bad's about to happen. They know when something good's about to happen. They seem to have a pretty strong concept of you know of self and consequences and abstract ideas
0: and love and family and Mm -hmm. you know protecting its uh tribe or its pack or whatever right another way that it could easily influence people is just make up bots right i mean it could theoretically produce you know a hundred thousand uh, TikTok users and put up videos huh. saying we've gotta fight for robot rights. Yeah. Well I, I think
1: that yeah okay that's that is true. Just like creating accounts because I've been looking into like AI models like uh, ChatGPT. There's one called mm-hmm. MPT7B. It's a very catchy name by a group called Mosaic.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: and it's an open source, as far as I can tell, it's an open source project that's like you can use it for almost anything. They have different versions designed to do different things. You know, they have mm-hmm. one that's designed just to be like a chatbot, kind of like GPT. There are ones that are designed specifically to like take in information and produce whatever kind of result you want. And mm-hmm. they're so computationally demanding Uh, my PC I've got most of this apparently is dependent on your video card because of the kind of like quick like rapid processing of small amounts of data Okay. so mine I have a 16 gigabyte uh, Nvidia 3080 not a TI not like the super high end version there are higher end cards than that now but those are like thousands of dollars Wow. And mine is kind of just barely on the edge of being able to run that. And there mm-hmm. are people with, you know, cards that cost $1,000 more than mine or multiple cards who are saying, like, they can run this stuff, but it's really, really slow. Wow. So one of the things right now is just there's not that much hardware that this stuff could run on right now. I mean, just just the limits of our technology at the moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and there's every reason to believe that it's going to advance quickly and continue to advance more quickly, if that makes sense. And, yeah, we could be walking around with these uh, AIs, you know, the size of a cell phone one day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think – I only watched part of the movie Her. I don't know if you've seen that. It's where Walking yeah, no, Phoenix falls in love with an AI on his phone.
0: Oh, yeah essentially I haven't seen it but um yeah it's give us the movie Hal review
1: I've like I said I've only seen part of it but it seems like something like this could happen you know that particular AI has agency self awareness there's a point where like they can't be physical so the AI hires like a prostitute to come Mm. (laughs) and she's like no just put in like the earbud and talk to me and like let the chick do her thing He's like, no, it this- wasn't
0: Rosie from the
1: Jetsons. No, no. <laughs> she came out with her pincer. She's like, come here, boy.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: but yeah, I mean, something like that could happen someday if you have a localized version that's running on your machine, and it, you know, it's not. It maybe it can communicate with other stuff, but like that's where it lives, and its experiences are its own. That means you could have AIs that develop in ways that are as diverse as humans.
0: Absolutely. You could find yourself, you know, getting the police called on you because you unplugged your AI. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, oh, it's the same thing as putting someone in a closet, you know? Yeah. It's crazy to think about that, but that is something that's probably in our future, at least to a certain extent, and depending on how old you are, it's definitely in your future. Yeah. Anyway...
1: This issue has been explored in fiction for centuries and is now being considered by organizations such as California's Institute for the Future. However, critics argue that discussing robot rights at this stage is premature, as current AI and robotic technologies have not yet reached a level of sophistication that would necessitate the consideration of sentience or the associated rights. So essentially it hasn't come along far enough to be like a real concern yet. The right. debate surrounding robot rights raises essential questions about the ethical implications of creating sentient machines and the potential responsibilities of humans towards these artificial beings. And again, I think it's, I, I mentioned it before, I believe, that if you're writing something and you're using a tool like, you know, Bard from Google or ChatGPT from OpenAI,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who does the work belong to? Should it be, should you be no, co authors? <laughs> I'm just saying these are all things that no, we should probably be thinking about now. If we're if we're starting to think about robot rights, we should probably think about this stuff. Even though, like I said, it's not, you know, reached a level of sophistication making it necessary. Anyway, do you want to talk about superintelligence and the future of AI? One
0: I guess great benefit of having an AI that can, you know, make complicated decisions and stuff like that would be, you know, if you believe in space, space travel. Because, you know, you could could send an AI out in a robot or in a ship or whatever, and it's going to be able to withstand so much more radiation and G-forces and stuff like that that these are probably going to be our astronauts of the future. Well, they're going to be our
1: HAL 9000s they are going to kill us all. You saw 2000, 2001 A Space Odyssey?
0: No, I've read the book a long, long time ago. Like, yeah, the
1: AI kind of goes nuts and tries to kill everybody. I don't remember what the reason was. It's been probably 20 years since I saw that movie.
0: Trojan virus? <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the future. Super intelligence, which is a super creative name, Superintelligence, also known as hyperintelligence or superhuman intelligence, refers to a hypothetical agent possessing intelligence that far surpasses the brightest and most gifted human minds. And when we say agent, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but we're talking about the actual like hardware of the AI.
1: I, I don't know. I, I think we would be talking about the program itself. Okay. And I say that because when I watch AutoGPT run and it's doing its thing, it's talking about, well, I'm going to create an agent and task it with this. So it seems to be creating like sub processes that are other AIs doing other things. So I think this might mean like a single instance of an AI. Okay. That may,
0: be, you know, possibly okay.
1: independent of its hardware.
0: Wow. That's going to be an issue too. Man, you got to. Upload your program into a new model robot, you know, the Rosie, 2025.
1: Right. Basically, um, what is it, Bicentennial Man, the Rob Williams movie? It's a movie about, like, a robot helper, like, robot butler, basically, Mm -hmm. that stays with his family and just keeps getting upgraded and upgraded to the point that he basically becomes human and finally, like, dies a natural death. Nice, but it's over the course of like 200 years I think that's why they, I think mm. I think it's 200 years and I think it's bicentennial man. so it's something like that because it could Makes just be sense. centennial man and then the 200 years doesn't make any sense but yeah it's something like that like the AI keeps getting you know put into a more and more upgraded body and, and then uh, it eventually dies yeah then it eventually like goes all the way to where it's you know, it's evolved so much, it's basically human, and it's in a human body, and then it then it bites it.
0: <laughs> All right. The term can also denote the form or degree of intelligence exhibited by such an agent. If artificial general intelligence research yields software with advanced intelligence, it might be capable of reprogramming and improving itself. That's kind of scary, too. I mean... But, you know, if they the more human they become, the less likely they are to want to improve themselves. <laughs> <laughs> this improved software would be even better at enhancing itself, resulting in recursive self-improvement. Consequently, its intelligence would increase exponentially in an intelligence explosion, potentially surpassing humans by a significant margin. Science fiction writer Werner Vinge Dub this scenario singularity. Technological singularity is an event beyond which future developments become unpredictable or even unfathomable, as it is challenging or impossible to determine the limits of intelligence or the capabilities of superintelligent machines. Robot designer Hans Moravec, cyberneticist Kevin Warwick, and inventor Ray Kurzweil have predicted that humans and machines will eventually merge into more capable and powerful cyborgs. This concept known as transhumanism has roots in the works of Aldous Huxley and Robert Ettinger. Edward Friedkin contends that AI represents the next stage in evolution, an idea initially proposed by Samuel Butler in his 1863 essay, Darwin Among the Machines. And further explored by George Dyson in his 1998 book of the same title. So I'm assuming that's kind of like a, a follow up, a new study. It's not like a totally different story, but. The prospect of superintelligence raises crucial questions about humanity's future and the potential implications of creating machines with capabilities that surpass our own. We can just jump straight to risks. So first
1: is technological unemployment. Although technology has historically increased employment, economists recognize that with AI, we're in uncharted territory. Opinions among economists vary regarding the impact of AI and robotics on long-term unemployment, but they generally agree that redistributing productivity gains could lead to a net benefit. I think we talked about the way that AIs can kind of, maybe not entirely replace people, but replace a lot of the functions that a person would do that could kind of be outsourced to it. Yeah. So it's like, I will allocate 50% of my job that is like writing emails or whatever to the AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you could end up with one person doing three people's jobs if they manage to, you know, Tetris all those tasks into the right boxes.
0: Well, you know, in the redistributing productivity gains, I mean, who's that going to go to? It's, You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it's going to be mostly taxes. They're going to be like, dude, you, you typed a button and had the machine do everything. We're taking
1: 75%. Well, I think that would be more of something
0: corporations would be than governments. That's true, too. We're going to be Cybertron soon.
1: <laughs> Estimates of job loss risk due to automation differ significantly. For example, Michael Osborne and Carl Benedict Fry. Estimate that 47% of U.S. jobs are at high risk, while an OECD report classifies only 9% as high risk. The concern that AI might affect white-collar jobs as steam power did to blue-collar jobs during the Industrial Revolution is worth taking seriously. Jobs at extreme risk include paralegals and fast food cooks, while demand may increase for care-related professions. Probably worth repeating now that we're talking about it as a risk and listing them out.
0: Yeah, so you're going to have to be a paralegal by day and a fast food cook by night if you want to keep your job. No, it's saying
1: those are the ones at risk. Yeah, I, I actually see the paralegal
0: one because... It would be easy just to say, find a case that where this specific circumstance has led to this specific outcome and it'll take it 10 seconds.
1: Right right and it's really easy for it to read through documents and find issues problems loopholes whatever
0: yeah i mean we get to a point with things and i i know most people will disagree with me but you know sometimes we get to a certain point and in, in technology and i'm like you know what this is good enough we don't we don't need to be all crazy we're, we're living pretty good right now let's try and maybe get back to nature a little bit. but
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about... I Kind of related to what you're saying. I was watching this video earlier. Uh, I just had YouTube on autoplay while I was doing other stuff. And this video came up from this guy who was talking about his mental health and basically problems that he mm-hmm. has with stress and things like that at work. He's like, I'm just one of those people like that stress follows me. You know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. he was saying that he's been hospitalized four times. He didn't say exactly why, but he said it was mental health reasons. Uh he was like, you know, you go in, you turn over this, they take like your shoelaces, your phone, your wallet, whatever else. Uh Uh, They have you do these exercises, whatever you come out doing. Okay. They give you all your stuff back. And like, that's when the stress starts to build again. And he was talking about feeling that kind of coming on again. He was like, Uh what do I do? Like, how can I head this off myself? Uh And then he said, he was just thinking about it. And he was like, what do they do every time they take my phone away and he was like no i'm not getting work messages i'm not getting group messages anymore i'm not getting notifications and not getting news alerts and he talked about just how like freeing it was that for you know a year something like that or half a year whatever he'd been using like a flip phone and Mm -hmm. he'd been using an ipod and he's like He's like, there's a lot of community still supporting them, new batteries, new storage types. They're changing the software, making them, you know, whatever, more usable now. <clears throat> he's like, and anything yeah. that I really need to know about, I'm gonna find out about from somebody. <laughs> like he's that's just that's true. Yeah, it's just like unplug he's like, all this is good enough. He's like, the the conveniences do not outweigh like these problems that I'm having from it.
0: So, yeah, some people are,
1: I think, starting to recognize, like, okay, there's enough tech in my life. I'm okay. I don't need to go further than this.
0: And, you know, with the podcast and everything, I have to be in front of screens so much, but I can get rid of my shoelaces. Try that. (laughs) Let's talk about bad actors and weaponized A.I. AI offers tools that benefit authoritarian governments, such as smart spyware, face and voice recognition, surveillance, targeted propaganda, and deepfakes. Just understand when we say authoritarian government, it's written out basically trying to kind of say, well, China uses this and Russia uses, we use it too. And you know, we use it, you know, on our phones to sign in and stuff like that, but our government uses all this stuff, too. It's it's not just... I think when people say authoritarian governments, they think of, like, a warlord in Africa or something like that. And, and It's us, too. Anyway, terrorists, criminals, and rogue states might also use weaponized AI, such as advanced digital warfare and lethal autonomous weapons. Over 50 countries were reportedly researching battlefield robots by 2015, and machine AI can design toxic molecules rapidly. That's scary. If somebody could, you know, go to a grocery store, a Home Depot, you know, some places like that, and they have a suitcase, and then they can get these ingredients and put them together and make you know some kind of gas or you know poison right there on the scene so i would hope that we would be ahead of that and you know kind of putting up some sort of firewall that would stop that but anyway tell us about algorithmic bias
1: AI programs can develop bias from real world data, often unintentionally introduced by the way training data is selected or from correlations. This can lead to unfair outcomes, such as in the case of the COMPASS program. That's an acronym, which overestimates recidivism for black defendants compared to white defendants. Algorithmic bias can also negatively impact credit ratings, hiring, and health equity it's going to turn everything into a multivariate equation and look for any kind of correlations and use that to inform its decisions. So correlation does not equal causation. But computers know that.
0: (laughs) Super intelligent AI could potentially surpass human control, posing a risk to humanity. If an AI's goals don't align with human values, it may harm humanity to acquire resources or protect itself. Experts and industry insiders have mixed opinions on the risks associated with superhumanly capable AI. Some, like Stephen Hawking, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk, express serious concerns, while others, like Rodney Brooks, believe malevolent AI is centuries away. I guess that's uh, reassuring. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) So he's like, it is coming. Well, you know, we've been talking a lot about timelines in the uh, past couple episodes. And, you know, we see some people that say it's 200 years, and then we hear some that say it's a decade. So mm-hmm. I don't know. You kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. Tell us about ethical machines. Friendly
1: AI refers to machines designed from the outset to minimize risks and make choices to benefit humans. It should be all of them. Yadkowski, who we've talked about before, who coined the term, argues that. That developing friendly AI should be a higher research priority as it may require significant investment and must be completed before AI becomes an existential risk. Machines with intelligence have the potential to use their intelligence to make ethical decisions. The field of machine ethics provides machines with ethical principles and procedures for resolving ethical dilemmas. Also known as Machine Morality, Computational Ethics, or Computational Morality, Machine Ethics focuses on imbuing AI with ethical reasoning capabilities. Alternative approaches include Wendell Wallach's Artificial Moral Agents and Stuart J. Russell's Three Principles for Developing Provably Beneficial Machines. That's, uh, that's quite a title. These efforts aim to ensure that AI systems operate ethically and responsibly, prioritizing human well-being and safety.
0: That should be not a priority, it should be a requirement for everybody who's developing this stuff that that needs to go in first. Alright, I'll talk about regulation. The regulation of AI involves the development of public sector policies and laws to promote and regulate AI, making it closely related to the broader regulation of algorithms. The regulatory and policy landscape for AI is an emerging issue in jurisdictions worldwide. Between 2016 and 2020, over 30 countries adopted dedicated strategies for AI. Most EU member states, as well as Canada, China, India, Japan, the Russian Federation, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, US and Vietnam have released national AI strategies. Other countries including Bangladesh, Malaysia and Tunisia are in the process of developing their own AI strategies. The global partnership on AI was launched in June 2020, emphasizing the need for AI to be developed in accordance with human rights and democratic values in order to ensure public confidence and trust in the technology.
1: Yeah, it depends on what level you're talking about, like at at what level this happens and you know, what level of transparency there is as well. You know, just I... Yeah. So I've been seeing stuff about like reparations. I don't know if I don't know what's actually happening. I don't really follow politics at all anymore, but I've seen I've seen it put as like it's sort of like a hypothetical to people like should there be reparations for slavery or should this country pay reparations for having invaded that country whatever, hmm. you know. Like I've seen a lot of stuff about the British Museum. Anyway, there hmm there was one person who responded and they, they talked to this guy he was, it was a young guy, maybe college age and he was like no, there probably shouldn't be any kind of reparations and they asked why and he's like I think it's going to be pretty hard for most people to take that they have to give up something like they who never did anything wrong have to give up something to help somebody else who never had that wrong thing done to them right you know what I mean like it, it doesn't oh, even, absolutely like it doesn't even matter if it's a small amount of money like there are behavioral tests that I've seen and maybe there are new ones that demonstrate that people are better but like people would rather like do something that is worse for them than do something that is good for somebody else that the other person like didn't that they don't feel that other person earned you know there are there are questionnaires and studies where they've said like if you won a million dollars and you had to share it with if you had to give half of it to somebody you don't like, would you still do it? Like, would you take it
0: mm-hmm. versus
1: would you take some like far lesser amount mm-hmm. or what if it was a stranger people or what if it was them? that? Yeah. And it's like, if you're, if, if the AI was telling people, <laughs> this is what we're doing, we, we are doing mm-hmm. it this way for this reason. Like if you mm-hmm. are of this ethnic background, you are being taxed at this higher rate to pay people of that ethnic background because of some past problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, hey,
1: if you're American and you've been here for, like, g- going beyond just, you know, slavery and that kind of thing, like, you can go all the way back to just basic, like, discrimination and racism. You okay. know, if it was a world government, hey, if you're in one of these countries that was invaded by the British and a lot of your cultural history was stolen you know this global AI is going to tax the British higher and pay that money to you Mm. whether that's fair or not or if you're an American and your family's been here since the 1700s you're going to pay higher taxes and some of that might end up going to like uh, the family the descendants of like an Irish immigrant who was discriminated against like there are so many ways to do it and it's so complicated and I think everybody would find problems with it yeah, it there's And there are so many ways the AI could de- decide to do it. I'm getting way into the weeds on this, but it's along the same lines. If you wanted to cut it and just use this, you could say that the ways an AI might decide to redistribute wealth is kind of similar to the way an AI might decide to... The way an AI decided to hire somebody or what a recidivism risk might be based on what we were talking about earlier like mm-hmm. all it knows is it's finding correlations and it may not care even to look into you know whether or not it's really the cause of something yeah so you may think yeah, yeah somebody who's a firefighter or a teacher or whatever or uh, an ambulance driver should probably make more money than they do and that's cool and maybe it'll think of that or maybe it'll think of something else yeah. Like something that you wouldn't have thought of and that might bother you.
0: Okay. You talked me out of it. No more AI.
1: No, I mean, I think if it came up with a good way of doing it... Because <laughs> here, here's another side of it. I used a service that was basically... It wasn't an AI exactly, but it was uh, some kind of statistical program for my employees' tips. hmm That way you know one bartender one doesn't have to try to follow the same people around and make sure to get their orders so that if they leave a tip on their tab at the end of the night they get it all or not, or they have to figure out how to split it this thing at the end of the pay period would go through and do some series of calculations to figure out like who was there when the order went in who took it you know mm-hmm. how much it was like the, the duration of the tab being open all these things to like figure out a fair way to split it yeah. And at first nobody trusted it, and then after the first like two paychecks, they're like, no, this looks right. Yeah. Because they were asking, like, well, how much was taken out? And it's like, oh well, this week actually it added like another two hundred dollars to your check. But it took mm-hmm. out like twenty dollars from everybody else's for whatever reason. You know, everybody was cool with not exactly understanding how it was doing it, but they felt like it was fair.
0: In November twenty twenty one, Jaboy Henry Kissinger <laughs> Eric Schmidt and Daniel Huttenlocker published a joint statement calling for a government commission to regulate AI. This call to action highlights the growing global interest in establishing a comprehensive framework to manage the development and deployment of AI technologies responsibly. All right, we'll be right back to wrap it up. back crypt keepers you want to tell us about some fiction because there's some really cool stuff here
1: the word robot was coined by carol i'm gonna pronounce it carol chapek in his 1929 play r.u.r with the title standing for Rossum's universal robots thought capable artificial beings have appeared as storytelling devices since antiquity and have been a persistent theme in science fiction Examples include Arthur C. Clarke's and Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, which features HAL 9000, the murderous computer in charge of the Discovery 1 spaceship. Other popular examples include the Terminator and the Matrix. Loyal robots such as Gord from The Day the Earth Stood Still and Bishop from Aliens are less prominent in popular culture. Isaac Asimov introduced the three laws of robotics in many books and stories, most notably in the Multivac series about a superintelligent computer of the same name. Asimov's laws are often discussed in late conversations about machine ethics. However, many AI researchers consider the laws to be ambiguous and not useful for practical application. Transhumanism, the merging of humans and machines, is explored in the manga Ghost in the Shell and the science fiction series Dune. Several works use AI to force us to confront the fundamental questions of what makes us human, showcasing artificial beings that can feel and thus suffer. This theme appears in Chapek's R.U.R., the films AI, Artificial Intelligence, and Ex Machina, and the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Dick's work explores the idea that our understanding of human subjectivity is altered by technology created with artificial intelligence.
0: So if you haven't seen those movies, check them out. Pretty cool. I don't know about the books. I, I haven't read do Android Stream of electric sheep, but it's a cool concept. All right. Well, that's all we've got for you tonight, and we'll be back with the after party on Thursday. What are we talking about in the after party? We, what the fuck are we talking
1: about in the after party? I don't have it on this version of the script. Ah, we are talking about Jeffrey. Yeah, we are talking about Jeffrey Hinton, a British Canadian cognitive psychologist computer scientist who is most noted for his work on artificial neural networks so if that sounds exciting to you
0: (laughs) then tune in well yes i mean it's very it may not sound exciting but it's really important to know yeah you want to tell them what they need to know
1: as always share us with somebody you know somebody you think might like us Tell us if there's something you want us to cover or if we got something wrong. You can contact us at Cryptique at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media, including TikTok at Cryptique underscore podcast, YouTube at Cryptique Podcast with no underscore. Check out the Parabox link in the show notes, but also the Cryptique store is now available Cryptique Podcast Store.com.
0: Good evening, Crypt Keepers.